The reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Let me have my welcome. Uh, my name's Matt Furl. I'm the vicar here. And uh, my job for a few minutes is just to point you towards a bit of light in darkness, which um, is probably no bad thing. Uh, at this moment in time, because uh, 2020, I just wish it could go on forever, said no one anywhere ever. And uh, after 24 hours ago and the notice there, everyone is just a bit, uh, um, no doubt. But our reading, or one of the readings we had this evening, uh, the second one uh, in Luke's gospel, promises that Jesus came to bring light to darkness. And actually, you can read the same truths in Isaiah, in John's Gospel. It's a sort of most common metaphor, I think, for the birth of Jesus, that he came to bring light in darkness. Now, there's something very comforting just about that as a, as a picture, isn't there? Our street where we live, I think it's fair to say, has always been fairly conservative or cynical towards big displays of Christmas lights. It's just not that sort of street. I mean, there's one house at the end which has always had its sort of Blackpool illuminations in the garden and everyone sort of 
slightly rolled their eyes because that's not a... But this year, this year, it's a flashing neon arms race in the neighborhood of, uh, for ourselves, a massive big uh, neon Frosty the Snowman, penguins, aardvarks, uh, all sorts, anything you can get which lights up, you'll see it on our street. It's quite impressive uh, this year, and I think it probably has cheered us up. It is nothing, though, compared to uh, Jeremy Vokes. I don't know if you saw him. He made the newspapers last week. I don't know if we've got a picture of uh, Jeremy and his family. I don't know how how well you can make that out. But um, 150,000 bulbs they put up on their household. It takes six months to unpack them, put them all up in the trees, and they turn them on on the 1st of December, turn them off on the 12th day of Christmas, and then by about March, the end of March, they've packed them all away again. So it's a six-month enterprise, and um, they raise about, you know, quite a lot of money for charity, but they spend it all on electricity. Uh, But by all accounts, if you fly up the coast of Cumbria in your airplanes, which you're not allowed to do, it's, it's viewed as, by any pilot as a great landmark. 150,000 bulbs, and they've been doing this now for uh, 18 years. The thing I love about this picture, I don't know if you can make it out from where you're sat. There's a mum and dad in the centre, looking very pleased with themselves. Their daughter, looks like she still enjoys it. And then the sort of teenage son, who's there at the edge going, no, seriously, this is really sad. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe one day he'll, uh, he'll uh, join in the fun. But light in darkness, there's something very comforting about that, isn't there? Well, in our second reading, which was uh, John the Baptist, his dad being told, you need to tell people about Jesus, that this Jesus will come to bring light to a people walking in darkness. And there are numerous things that says, but the the two dominant ones in the passage is, I'm just going to dwell on these for a couple of minutes, Uh, he brings light to a dark debt, and he brings light to the shadow of death. Okay, those two. Light to a dark debt, light to the shadow of death. The first is that he brings light to a dark debt. I forgot to ask, I don't know if the uh, the verse will come up, but um, towards the end of the reading, uh, verse 77 it is, uh, in the middle as you can look on the screen, uh, prepare the way for the Lord, he give his people the knowledge of salvation, how does that come about? Through the forgiveness of their sins. That is how he shines light. He brings forgiveness of their sins. Let me try and break that down. Now, 2020, we don't really use the word sin unless you go to church. Um, It's sort of conceptually sort of done as an idea. Uh, But we use the word guilt instead, in many ways synonymous. But guilt, guilt is still quite common in our parlance. So in an increasingly polarized world, right, left, whatever it may be, they, they are guilty, and we're the innocent ones. So they are guilty over there, depending on what your point of view is. Uh, I don't know, Donald Trump is guilty of undermining democracy. Jeremy Corbyn was guilty of allowing anti-Semitism. Boris Johnson is guilty of uh, incompetence, let's keep it brief, um, while we're a bit grumpy with him at the moment. Um, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. And of course, if you go anywhere online, well, there's quite a lot of heat generated by them, the other lot, who are guilty as opposed to us, who are the sort of the virtuous ones. Guilt. Well, to have guilt forgiven is a very wonderful thing. Can you imagine? You probably do need to uh, work quite hard at this. Imagine, but imagine. Uh, that these people decided to do something about it. So Donald Trump, uh, you see it on the news when you get in tonight, uh, he's put his hand up and said, look, I'm really sorry. 
I'm really sorry for contesting the election. I just, I got a bit overexcited. It was a bit silly. Um, and, you know, obviously I lost. Obviously Biden won. And you, you just won't, I'm not going to make a fuss about it anymore. You won't see me. I'm just going to go to Florida, get even more colourful. And um, that's it. I'm done politically. And all his opponents say, well, that's great. And we forgive you. That's it. We're not going to gloat. We're just going to move on. Extraordinary. Can you imagine how much pain would have been avoided if early on Jeremy Corbyn had said, yeah, look, I think there is probably some anti-Semitism in the party and we need to, I'm sorry about that and we need to do something about it. And those who were upset said, rightly so, they said, uh, we forgive you. Or if Boris Johnson said, <laughs> and everyone said, all right, we forgive you. Um, uh, look, yeah, I'm sorry for making false promises. I'm sorry for saying, look, yeah, I've shaken the hands of COVID, people who got COVID. I'm sorry for promising it'll be over at Christmas. I'm sorry for not locking down, whatever it may be. Uh, and everyone says, yeah, well, we know it's difficult and we forgive you. I mean, golly, that would take a lot of rancor away, wouldn't it? A lot of angst. I mean, what would people do on their Twitter accounts? I don't know. Probably Twitter would go bust. Um, if people said, yeah, I'm sorry, and yeah, we forgive you. Let's move on. The problem with forgiveness, though, there is always a cost to it. So um, if uh, I drove here tonight, if you, that um, probably makes me guilty in the eyes of some, but anyway, uh, if you pranged my car on the way home, I could say I forgive you. But I've got to pay for it to be repaired. Um, there's a cost. Morally. If someone offends you, someone lets you down dramatically, you can say, I forgive you, but you, there's something you have to pay there emotionally. There's always a cost. When you're guilty, there's a sometimes very real financial debt, but there's a moral debt. And you and I, each and every day, we just go into debt a little bit more with the unkind words, with the perhaps vicious thoughts, with the aggressive actions. We just go into debt a little bit more, a little bit more. And debt needs paying. I don't know if you saw this, my favorite stat of the week. I like, I like a stat. Um, the, uh, it was a little comparison. So did you know, did you know that uh, at the end of the Second World War, the UK had accrued um, 21 billion of debt uh, as a consequence of the Second World War. Do, do you know when we paid that off, finally? Anyone? Hand in the air? No. Uh, it was 2006. So it takes a little while to pay off 21 billion. Uh, of course, the wonderful comparison is that currently we are accruing 22 billion pounds of debt every month as a country. And so, you know, when will, when will that get paid off? Well, who knows? Fortunately, interest rates are a bit lower than they were. But um, so we're quite good as a country at going into debt. Got to be paid. Let's be honest. Be you and me through our taxes. Um, it'll all be paid eventually. But morally, individually, we go into debt. The things we do wrong, each and every day, just accruing a little bit more, a little bit more. And it has to be paid. The issue is you, you can't get into God's heaven while you're in debt, morally. And that's where Jesus came, we're told. He shines light on this dark debt of sin. He offers forgiveness. This is why he comes and dies to pay it off. That's his reparation. 
makes an enormous difference. Look, I take it there's a variety of experiences in the room. Some here will, um, actually, they know they do stuff wrong. And actually, you, you may be carrying some sort of burden. You, you know you've done something fairly significantly wrong. The idea of being forgiven, you know that would be wonderful. And I wonder where you think forgiveness can come from. Others of us will think, well, we do everything. It's fine. We've got no real problems. Um, well, maybe that's a hardened conscience. I don't know. But to have forgiveness, it is a very, very rich thing that Jesus offers. Now, you might think to yourself, well, at Christmas, if we're going to have anything forgiven at Christmas or any debt paid off, actually what I would love would be my student loan. If Jesus came and paid that back, that would be great, whatever it may be, £60,000. Or my mortgage, even more, that would be great, Um, hundreds of thousands of pounds, that would be fantastic student loans, car loans. If Jesus was offering that sort of uh, freedom from debt, I'm interested. But actually, he offers much better than that. Because forgiveness of our moral debt, forgiveness of sin, well, well, that gives you access to heaven. That gives you access to paradise. That is worth much more. That is light in darkness. Okay, there's a first. Second, more briefly, uh, he offers, or he is, light to shine on the shadow of death. Just at the end, I don't know if we've got it again. Uh, just right at the end of that uh, uh, reading we had, that Jesus came, in little verse 79, or you can't quite see it, but he came to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's an extraordinary claim. He can handle death. Now, I don't know if you've, you can bear to watch the news or you find it sort of bizarrely captivating and still tune in on a nightly basis. It's an odd year because, you know, every night on the news there's going to be today's death toll is ka-chung. And the, uh, the accumulation is ka-chung. And the trend is ooh. Uh, and those are sort of fairly blunt stats thrown at you uh, each and every night. And I don't the national mood has varied, so it seems to me. I mean, back in April, March, April, those stats produced fear. By the summer, a sort of familiarity, yeah, whatever. Um, now, frustration? I don't know. But how we've handled it has varied. And it, until, certainly until yesterday, probably, in the last couple of weeks, how we've handled 2020... Well, often it's been gags, let's be honest. Uh, that's a British way. You just laugh in the face of it, uh, all these things. I don't know what your favourites are. They grind you down if you read enough of them. Uh, why do we want 2020 to be like a panto? Because then it's behind you. Uh, why is it that the reindeer are allowed to roam between tiers? They have herd immunity. Uh, why was it that the pirates had to go into lockdown? Because the R factor uh, had gone up exponentially. That is my favourite. And that is actually quite good, I think. Um, <laughs> Now, they're all well and good, and whatever your mood has been, it may well have varied through 2020, but what makes a difference is if someone you love has died. Now, that changes things. My mother died in October, my uh, last parent. We buried her. Yeah, it's different. Separation is hard. Loss is hard. Christmas is weird for everyone. But obvious absence this year. That is very different. So the promise of life beyond this death, that is a great light in darkness. 
And so we'll stand in a moment and have sung to us, I'm afraid, not sing it ourselves, but hark the herald angels sing. And at the end, mild he laid his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus came that Christmas, a light shining in darkness, because he's offering life in eternity. Not just a vague, Boris-like promise all over by Christmas, world-beating test and trace, not just the vague optimism, but he came, he himself entered this world, died, rose again and said, you can be with me, you can follow me, if you trust I've done this for you. And if you'll indulge me just for one moment, I can't tell you what a difference that makes. The last night my mother had at home, uh, neighbours popped in to say goodbye before she uh, went into hospice the last week. Uh, acute was her saying goodbye to uh, this wonderful woman, Evelyn, who'd been her carer for a couple of months or several months, uh, lived in the house and uh, been her carer, this magnificent uh, everything you'd possibly want from someone in that position. And Evelyn was in floods of tears, crying, crying, Pauline, it's so sad you've got to go. Uh, and my mother was able to take her head in her hands and say, but Evelyn, you're a Christian like me. You know... I'm going to be with Jesus. You know it's going to be better. You don't need to cry. That is light in darkness. That's a light that shines upon you and me who live under the shadow of death. Though we can push it away most of the time. So it's not just a comforting little picture, light in darkness. It's an extraordinary truth. So there's two ways. Jesus comes to bring light to darkness. Light which can deal with a dark debt, forgiveness of sins. Light which, light which deals with us in the shadow of death. It is an extraordinary promise. Now look, for those of us who are Christians, enjoy. Not much else to enjoy, a bit of telly. Um, cooking your own lunch on Christmas Day. But uh, enjoy. For those of us who are not, oh, I don't know. Look, in my neighbourhood, we've always been pretty cynical about lights. This year, we've got over ourselves and discovered putting up a blaze of flashing neon penguins is terrific. Okay? It's a small thing. We've got over ourselves. Lots of people are cynical towards Jesus and just think, oh, I don't know, not interested. Could I encourage you, get over yourself this year? Because the things he promises... They are extraordinary. Why not at least take them seriously? Have a look. Because he offers light into darkness. Let me pray briefly. Uh, great God and Father, this has been a bleak year in many, many ways, and what a rubbish end to it uh, for, for most of us. But Father, thank you for the promise of this first Christmas, light into darkness in such a significant way. Light which can deal with the dark debt of sins that need forgiven. Light which can take us through the shadow of death into new life with you. We praise you that Jesus came to bring light into a dark world. We pray it in his name. Amen.